Hi. Hi, everybody. It's really great to hear you all just greeting each other and um, having conversations. And um, it's just great to be together. Whether, like Kim said earlier, you're in this room or online, um, it's just really encouraging when we get together as believers and just worship our Lord. So actually, I forgot to say this. Would you remain standing? <laughs> I'm going to read the scripture for today. And then when I'm finished, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. And then I'd invite you all to say, thanks be to God. This is Luke 6, 1 through 11. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Feel free to grab a seat if you haven't already. Thanks, Maya. Hey, it's good to be with you this morning. My name's Adam. I get to open scripture with you um, here in this place, watching the live stream or watching at a later time. It's so good to open scripture. Um, we're in our Luke series. We've been teaching through the book of Luke since uh, about mid-November, and today we are starting chapter 6. And kind of, of a significant moment in the, the book of Luke um, as we are, are going to go into this chapter and the back half of this chapter actually starts into a very famous sermon by Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. So we're kind of leading up to that through all these events where Jesus is letting us know and letting the people who Luke is, is recording know who he is, what his mission is, and he's teaching with authority, and he's demonstrating his authority with healing and with, with uh, uh, statements of power and authority. And so today, we're, we're going to open up our scriptures to Luke chapter 6, and um, as we, we just heard from Maya, we're going to look at two encounters that Jesus has uh, with this, this group, this religious group, who are a sect, a religious sect of the Jewish people called the Pharisees. And uh, we're going to look at these two encounters and, and a couple of things that I'm I'm wanting us to see today is, um, one, Jesus gives us another title about himself, another, another uh, marker of his identity, how we can know him and, and what we can expect from him and, and how he is introducing himself to us. 
Um, secondly, we're going to look at this subject of debate, this idea, this ancient practice called Sabbath, what it meant for them, what it meant in their context, where it came from, and what the, the potential ramifications could be for us today here in Portland in 2022. Uh, and then thirdly, we're just going, going to end our time by responding in worship and taking communion together to this Lord of the Sabbath. So if you have your Bible and you're here, you're watching online, uh, why don't you go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 6 while I pray for us. Father, uh, it's always such an amazing experience when we get to come together as your sons and daughters. We get to open scripture and we get to hear the life that comes from your word. I pray today as we, uh, as we sit with this story about Sabbath and and about your son being the Lord of the Sabbath, that you would open the eyes and the ears of our heart to not just hear with our minds, but to accept the life that you have from us that comes from your word, that, that we would leave actually changed people, that the, the trajectory of our day, of our week, of our lives would be shifted because of an encounter with you and with your word. So I pray that you, you bless our time today, and we thank you in your name. Amen. All right, Luke 6, verse 1, says this. On Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees ask, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? So this first encounter happens as Jesus, with his disciples, is walking through the grain fields. And his disciples began to pick the top of the grain. Now, you might remember doing this as a kid, with, whether it's a, a dandelion or, or tall grass and you pull and, and the seeds come out. That's, that's what these disciples are doing. They're walking along these grain fields. They're picking the top of the grains, rubbing them in their hands, and eating the kernels. They're, they're essentially getting a snack, right? This is like first century trail mix that they're, that they're working on getting here. And, and as they're going, it says that the Pharisees are watching them, and the Pharisees confront them. Now, it's an interesting thing that the Pharisees are watching this group of men walk through a grain field. Why are they watching this group of men walk through this grain field? And it's simply because Jesus, as a teacher, as a rabbi, this word for teacher is becoming more and more renowned. He is teaching with authority. And in fact, he has given himself this title, the Son of Man, elevating himself to deity and forgiving sins. And so he's garnered the attention of this religious sect called the Pharisees who are watching him and his disciples vigilantly. And he sees these disciples picking the grain and eating the kernels, and he asks them, why are you doing what's unlawful? Why are you breaking the law with this action? Now, what's unlawful about this action? Are they stealing the grain? Well, in fact, no. This, this was totally fine for them to do. Part of, of this custom, in fact, was for the farmers to leave some of their fields, the corners of their fields, for, for people who are traveling by, for the alien, for the foreigner to have something to eat. It's, it's not that they're stealing grain. It's when they're choosing to pick this grain and to eat it, that they're doing it on this day called the Sabbath. Now, the idea of the Sabbath actually shows up very, very early in Scripture. It shows up in, in the creation account. The creation narrative tells us that, that God, this triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, created all known things, created our universe, created day and light, the sun, the moon, 
earth and water and animals, and on the sixth day, he creates humans. And then it says, on the seventh day, God does what? He rests. And he models and institutes this rhythm of both working and resting, of being fruitful and contributing and being creative and doing things and also transitioning and stepping away from that and resting. If we fast forward a, a few books in the Bible, uh, we see in, in uh, the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment that is given to God's people is this, you shall work for six days, but on the seventh day you will rest, for this day is my day and it's holy. And all throughout the Old Testament, this, this old covenant that God had with his, with his people, we see him leading them into this practice of Sabbath, of working six days, but then resting a day. And it became for them an act of worship towards God. It was one of the ways that they honored him with their lives. It was an act of worship, and it became something really distinguishable about them. Here's this group of people on earth who could work the seventh day, who could take advantage and do more on that seventh day and, and, and push their economic situation forward. But because of their God, they choose not to work one day a week. They close down shops. They don't plow fields. They don't even cook meals. It's time that is set aside sacred and holy. And the traditional calendar for this would have begun on Friday evening as the sun is setting. The, the Sabbath would have begun, and it would end Saturday with the sun setting. And on the Sabbath, they would virtually do very little, almost nothing. They would prepare meals the day before so that they could just rest. And so this is the Sabbath, and, and Jesus is disciples are walking along and they're picking up these grains and they're eating them and for these pharisees this is a violation of this holy day somewhere along the line this gift that was given to humanity this gift of rest and to commune with god on this day called sabbath had devolved to being ritualistic driven by severe custom and tradition to the point that even picking grain and eating it from a grain field was against the law. This violation. And for these people, why this was so severe was a faulty belief system. These Pharisees had a faulty belief system, a, a bit of a lie that they were believing. And it was simply this, that our rules, our regulations, our customs, and our traditions are the things that can give us access to God. That our traditions, our will, the things that we can control will draw clo God close to us. That was a faulty system that they were working through. So if that's what they believe, they want themselves and everyone around them to adhere strictly to these rules. Because these rules, if we follow them well and we can accomplish it, even though it's impossible and it's been shown to be impossible, if we can do this, God will come near to us. We will have access to him. A couple weeks ago, I, uh, I got to take just an incredible trip and vacation uh, with my family. We had been planning it for like a year and a half. This year, 2022, uh, and well, a little bit beyond that, is kind of a significant year in that there's just a lot of big monumental events, big birthdays for us, you know, those big round numbers that start showing up <laughs> as you're getting a little bit older. Uh, one of us is going to be able to drive. Um, our, our big anniversary celebration. And so we, we knew this was coming and decided to plan an epic vacation. And we swung for the fences and said, let's, let's take our family to Hawaii. 
So we began a year ago planning this, renting our, our Airbnb, putting all the work into it, and here comes the fall, and what hits? Omicron. And we're like, oh no, what's going to happen? Are we going to miss out on this vacation? And, and as it got closer and closer, we began hearing stories of people who would go there and, and on their two-week vacation have to quarantine in a hotel room for 10 days. Or they would go there and they would be turned right back and have to fly home. Or they would go to the airport and not even be allowed on the airplane. And so we were worried and began to do research and, and figured out that there was a way to get access to this place. The government, the state government had a, a, allowed a way for us to have access, but we had to go online and fill out all these rigorous papers. It was very specific. And at the end of all of this work, we needed a QR code not just a QR code, it needed a green check mark at the bottom. This gave us access to our, our Hawaiian vacation. And it worked beautifully. We got there and there's a long line of people trying to get access and we were the uh, green check mark QR code that got to bypass all of the line and just waltz right into paradise and it was wonderful. But, but what gave us access was, was this rigorous work. For these people, this is what they think God needs and wants from them. This rigorous adherence to these customs and traditions. And if we can just do this right, God will draw near to us. And then here's this teacher, this young man named Jesus, who says he speaks for God, who says he is God, who can heal sins, who, who, who can forgive sins and heal the body. And he is saying that God is drawing near to us through him, not through our customs and our traditions and our rules and our laws, but through the person of Jesus, we can be in the presence of God. And they're insanely threatened, threatened to the point that they're watching a bunch of dudes walk through a field and saying, you're breaking the law for eating that grain. And so Jesus, he responds to them, is in verse three, Jesus answers them, have you never read, and I love that, that Jesus starts by saying, have you never read to the Pharisees who are the experts in the law? I think he knows, it's a little salty. I think Jesus knows what he's doing. Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what was lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man. Jesus gave us that in, in Luke chapter 5 when he healed the paralytic. He said, I'm the Son of Man and I can forgive sins. And now he's saying, I'm the Son of Man and I am the Lord of this Sabbath, of this, this gift, this practice that God has given for you. His response to them saying he broke the law is to tell the story of David. David is, is kind of a champion of their, their history and a champion of their faith. He was a, a prolific king and soldier, and he wrote much of their poetry, and, and they held him in very high regard. And he tells them a story uh, that, that you can read in 1 Samuel of, of David is out with his companions, and they're in a, a military campaign, and they're hungry. So they go to the house of, the God, uh, of God, to the temple, and they say, give us some bread. And the priest says, we don't have any bread for the public, only the consecrated bread, the, the bread set aside under our custom for the priest to eat. And David says, give it to me anyways. And he takes it, and he eats it, and he gives it to his companions, and it's deemed okay. 
It's deemed valiant because what David is doing and because the mission that they're on. And Jesus is paralleling that story to himself, saying, like David, we are on a mission. We are sent by God. We have work to be about. It is, it is totally fine for my disciples to be feeling their bodies because we are about my mission. We have work to do. And then he gives us this title of himself, that he is Lord of the Sabbath. This custom to be with God. He says, I am Lord of this custom, of this practice. I am the outcome of the Sabbath. I am the purpose of the Sabbath. I am the living Sabbath. I am the life and the rest that God has for humanity personified in this person. He says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. It's confusing and it's frustrating because he's challenging these people who are steeped in their traditions. And imagine this, this tradition that they have that has been so elevated, has been so enlarged that it's actually eclipsing the God who it represents. These traditions can get really sticky. These customs, sometimes the sever severity of these customs and, and traditions and, and ritualistic religious behaviors that we can have sometimes that actually begin to act more as idols than things that bring life and connect us to God. And Jesus has the grace for these Pharisees and the grace for you and I at times to step on our toes and challenge and call us back to not the Sabbath, not the ritual, but back to the Lord of the Sabbath. But these Pharisees are, are, are stuck in this tradition, and, and David Guzik, who uh, is a commentary, he says this, this is exactly what many people steeped in tradition simply cannot accept. They don't believe that the God really wants is mercy before sacrifice. They don't believe that love to others is more important than religious habits. They don't believe that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. His commentary in Jesus' interaction, this first encounter with these Pharisees, is pointing at this truth, this reality, that what God is after is our hearts. That what we're invited into is not hollow, empty, religious routine and habits. Rather, what we're invited into are practices and rhythms that give us greater togetherness and connectedness with God. That he's given us these disciplines, these practices, as a gift to know him more, to experience greater togetherness with God. I, I love Eugene Peterson's word when he, when he says that we're invited into unforced rhythms of grace. That's the heart of the Sabbath, an unforced rhythm of grace, a time set aside to live different, to be different with the whole purpose of knowing God, being more aware of him, not a ritualistic experience that we're endeavoring to keep all of these customs and not break any of these rules, even though we, it has been proven over and over we are not perfect. We are not able to execute these things perfectly. But rather, we pivot and we look to the Lord of the Sabbath. 
This is a theme that's been in Scripture long before Jesus. God desiring the heart of people, not the hollow actions of people. Listen to these words in in Isaiah chapter 29, uh, verse 13. The Lord says, These people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based merely on human rules that they have been taught. This, This condition that they're stuck in these rituals And the idol themselves is the rituals. And it's not life-giving. And what does God want? He wants their heart. He doesn't want the vain movements that we can can get stuck in, but he wants their hearts. That's what the Lord of the Sabbath is revealing. And it goes on in verse 6, and we get yet another encounter. And it's another Sabbath, and we don't know if it's the next week, if it's a month later. We don't know when it happens, but, but yet there's this second encounter with the Pharisees and, and, and the level of, of kind of intensity goes higher when it's, it's not just about picking grains, but it's about the health and, and, and life for someone. It says this in verse 6, on another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched, here it is again, they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and he stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, what is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? So the second encounter with Jesus and the Pharisees, and he's teaching in the synagogue, and there's a man there with, with a shriveled hand. And they're watching him again to see if he will heal this man on the Sabbath, if he'll do work on the Sabbath. Isn't that kind of just an insane thing to think? That they can look at this teacher, at this rabbi who teaches with authority, who they believe has the power to heal this man with a shriveled hand, yet hold him to the law of the Sabbath. The Lord of the Sabbath, the one who personifies the Sabbath. They can believe he can heal, but they don't believe he can heal on the Sabbath. They believe that he can do these things, but he cannot override or supersede their customs and their traditions. So I have a question for us then. Is Jesus just a rule breaker? Is he just rebellious? Is he just breaking rules for the sake of breaking rules? I think we get a little insight to this when we look at the behaviors of Jesus. I don't think Jesus arrived to say the, the old covenant, the, the, the uh, promise that God had, the code of living that God had in the Old Testament. I'm, I'm here to eradicate that, and none of that matters. And so from now on, we can work seven days a week, 365 days a year. The point of Sabbath was to rest, but now we don't need to rest. We don't see that in the rhythms of Jesus' life. L- look at these scriptures. I'll just go through them very quickly. Mark 1.35, this is all talking about Jesus. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Mark 6.31, then, because so many people were coming and going, and they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, his disciples, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. Luke 5.16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places And he prayed. Jesus is modeling 
the heart of the gift of Sabbath, the ancient practice that wasn't meant to invite us into ritualistic, rigid living, but was rather invited into live us into an unforced rhythm of both working and rest, of both engaged in, in the economy that God has given us, but then to reprieve from that and have time just to commune with God and to live different lives. I wonder what that would look like for you and I to live that way. If we looked at this, this ancient practice that God has given for his people, that he gave to them as a gift. That's what Mark 2, 27 says about this account. That Jesus said that Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What it would look like for you and I to embrace this gift, this ancient practice that God has given. That we would be people who out of an act of worship would both work, but we would also rest that we would be people who would actually intentionally set time aside and be distinctly known for that. That we'd be people who would disengage for the purposes of being with our creator. To set aside every week a day or a portion of a day, intentionally lived differently with the purpose of having greater and growing awareness of God. Responding to his invitation to Sabbath with him. I've been working on this. Um, it's, it's taken me quite a while, and I've got a long ways to grow. Uh, the, the kind of culture I grew up in, the family of origin, is not one that, that readily embraces this idea. Um, it's more one that says, hey, if your eyes are open, there's probably work you should be doing. And I've worked really hard at, at, at responding to this invitation of Sabbath. And, and I'll share for a moment a little bit what this looks like for me to kind of pull this into to practical living. Uh, Sabbath for me is something that, that happens typically on a Friday. That, that happens to be my day off and the easiest time for, for me to engage in that. And, and some of the parameters that I have that make Sabbath Sabbath, that make that day lived differently, are um, one, it's, it's a predictable set rhythm. I don't wake up on Fridays usually and say, oh, should I... Should I Sabbath today? Is this the day I should do that? It, it's kind of something that I already know is set. And it's, it's set in my schedule in a way that, that ideally other things are scheduled around it. it. It's not the last thing that I add in, but, but hopefully one of the first things that show up and it's predictable. That time um, is, is meant to be God-centered. It's not just vegging out on Netflix or vegging out on, on nothing, but it's meant to be how can I be more aware of God? What, what is he saying to me? What is he inviting me into? And what are, what are some of the activities I can have during this time that I'm calling Sabbath that are God-centered? Uh, it's a time where I, I try to step away from vocation. Now, I use the word vocation because vocation and work at times can be different things. Uh, vocation is, is the gift that God gives you and I to, to make money and to live, and it's it's our jobs, and, and it's, it's, it's what we spend a lot of our time doing. And, and for me on the Sabbath, I, I, I try to stay, say no to vocation, to that kind of work. But, but there's other work that, that's actually pretty fun and life-giving. I know someone who on their Sabbath likes to do tons of yard work. That might not be you, but that's fun for them. They like, it's a life-giving thing, and it's, it's, it's separate from vocation. So I, I usually don't check work emails. I'm sorry if you email me on Friday morning. I probably won't email you back. Hopefully I don't email you back. 
That, that is set aside time um, from, from vocation. And then it's, it's also set aside time to eliminate or, or very, very minimize technology. I have just found technology can be uh, a time suck and can be very distracting on that day that I can sit down with my phone and this, this sweet time that I've, I've worked really hard to carve out that I'm, I'm calling the Sabbath on Friday can just disappear before my eyes um, reflecting on the screen of a phone. So I try to minimize or, or completely eliminate uh, technology and then I, I only try to do, lastly, I only try to do activities that are life-giving. Things that remind me who God is and that I'm his son and that he delights in me and that I get to delight in him. So what this looks like on a Friday for me, usually it looks like with uh, a nice cup of coffee in the morning and then outdoors somewhere, like hopefully away from the city. That's, that's my favorite place to be. I, I, I've said this before, but there's nothing like being in beautiful creation that reminds me of our creator, that just points to him in pro- prolific, beautiful ways. So I, I usually get out and doing some kind of activity, hawk, uh, hiking, walking, running, biking, something in, in nature and creativity. And then I usually come home and prepare an early dinner for my family because I really enjoy cooking for them. And I hope they really enjoy eating it, but I really enjoy cooking for them. And uh, those are usually kind of the staples of that day. Not really rocket science. Not really uh, some big epiphany that I'm trying to have or, or some big spiritual moment I'm trying to conjure up. It's, it's, it's really an unforced rhythm of a day. But can I tell you, as I've worked and worked for this over the years, I found it to be really fruitful. I found God to be faithful and to meet me in that time. And, and those handful of hours on a Friday, they actually feel different than the rest of the hours of the week. It feels like I'm living differently. I'm wearing less responsibility. I'm actually taking the worries of the world and, and my responsibilities and things I need to do and just saying, I'll come for you later, but I'm going to set you aside right now. And I just get to delight and to be with God. And I found this to be really fruitful. It, it's, it's one thing that really gets my attention with the Father, that I become more aware of him and more aware of myself because of my awareness with him. I don't know if you've probably had an experience of, of taking a long road trip and uh, driving on a freeway and just sailing at like 70, 75, 80 miles an hour, however fast you drive. And when you're on the freeway, you just kind of go for hours on end trying to eat up miles. And, and as you go, it can, it can kind of feel like a trance, right? The scenery is just flying by, flying by, flying by. And, and then you'll need to eventually stop to get gas or for some kind of break. And so you exit, you go on this ramp, and it slows slows, slows until it stops. And, and it almost feels like the inertia is pushing you forward and suddenly there's vividness all around you. It's, it's not just a blur flying by, but, but, but there's vividness and calm and it quiets. The invitation to Sabbath for me is that. I don't want to live my life as a blur, watching things fly by with God in the periphery. I want moments where I can slow, to feel the sensation of my life slowing, and to see the vividness increase, and to be present with God in a unique way. This is a fruit that I've experienced, where that time seems to slow, and the awareness in that moment is heightened, and, and I hear God. 
I hear God leading me and challenging me. I hear God encouraging me. I hear God reminding me that, that he actually delights in me. This awareness that grows. A fruit that I've experienced is, is actually orienting. The reminder that, that God is God. That I'm not at the center of this universe. I'm not at the center of this story. But God is leading and he is orchestrating. And I'm invited to surrender to his actions, to be aware of what he is doing. I've experienced this fruit consistently over the years of learning to do this. And like I said, I, I, I still have a long ways to grow. And I know that there are some of you who, who I've heard and talked to who have really developed this rhythm of Sabbath into your life. And I'm gleaning from you and learning from you. And, and there are some of us who this might sound like a totally foreign idea what is Adam doing? He's off the rails, just making up stuff on a Sunday morning. But I have a challenge for us, a challenge and, and a bit of an invitation to think about what this practice, this unforced rhythm of grace could look like in your life. And what if there were time that you intentionally slowed, that you set aside the cares and the worries, even the good things, set those aside for a bracketed amount of time every week just to commune with God. Not to accomplish things, not to be productive, but just to be a son or a daughter with your heavenly Father. So my, my challenge for you is to, to do three things with this. First, don't take my word for it. Why don't you pray and ask God about this? Don't, don't just take my word for it. I wouldn't want you to feel like there's some kind of compulsion or pressure or all oh, great, now I need to figure out how to Sabbath. Why don't you start with with asking God about it. I have a feeling I know what he'll say. Pray something like this. God, what do you think about me carving out some time every week just to be with you, to set aside my cares, my worries, the things that are distracting to me, and just be fully present with you? I have a feeling I know how he's going to answer that prayer. It's the same way I would respond if one of my children told me that. But start there. Start with a prayer. God, here's, here's my week. Here's my time. I've got a lot of obligation, but, but, but what could be greater than time spent with you? So start with prayer, then step into some kind of plan. And this, this is the hard one. This is where the rubber meets the road. As soon as you start to plan, as you look at your eye calendar or your journal or wherever you orchestrate your week, you're, you're going to find two things. One, you're going to find there's very, very few things, if any, in your world that are going to champion the idea of you unplugging and taking a Sabbath. It is countercultural. It is very distinct. It was distinct for the people of God in the Old Testament, and if you really live it now, it'll be distinct for you. I have a very good friend who I work with. One of the things he does that ensures his plan, because he's trying to live out this rhythm to be more present with God, is on his emails where he puts his name at the bottom, there's a little asterisk that says, hey, just so you know, from uh, Saturday at noon till Sunday at noon, I actually do not check email and get off my phone completely. And it's on his voicemail too. That's weird, right? I don't see that in very many people's emails. That's a different and distinct thing that he has done. And as you begin to plan, you're going to feel this is different. This isn't what our normal culture does. And you're going to have every reason in the world not to have the time to do this. Even really good things. You're going to have to say no to something to actually plan this. And it to be something that, that you don't just say, well, when I have time, I'll get to it. 
but rather put it out ahead of me. This is my, this is my time where I live differently to engage fully with the Father, calling it Sabbath. And then the third thing, pray, plan, and then just try it. Try it for a season. Try it for two or three months. See if you can identify fruit within your own life. See if the Lord of the Sabbath won't faithfully meet you in those moments. See if that doesn't become some of the most important and prioritized hours and time of your week. I'm going to invite us into that, to think about this unforced rhythm of Sabbath that God has given for a gift for his people to know what real, true rest looks like. I want to invite our band to come forward. And as they do, I want to finish the last, uh, last few verses in Luke chapter 6. Man, the stage is set. The man is there with, with the shriveled hand. And the Lord of the Sabbath has been teaching, and he knows it's a Sabbath, and he wants to show that, that he has come not to bring death, but to bring life, that he has come to do not what is evil, but, but what is good. And so he tells the man to stand up. It says this in verse 10. He looked around at them all, and then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to this Jesus. The Lord of the Sabbath has a very special invitation. This man with a shriveled hand. I, I read a ton of commentaries. None of them have any insight of what a shriveled hand is. I don't know, but I don't think it's good. I think it represents broken. I think it represents a need for healing. I think it represents something that probably each and every one of us are walking in this place with. The thing that needs to be confessed and surrendered and brought before God. The thing that is wounding us, that is hurting, that needs to be brought before God. The healing in our body that we need to bring before God. And so this morning, we're going to take communion. And as this man did, stretched, vulnerably stretched his hand out before Jesus and before these religious leaders to experience healing. As an act of faith in our communion, we are saying the words of 1 Corinthians 11, that we are proclaiming the death and the resurrection of Jesus as sufficient for us, for the broken places, for the places that we need healing and surrender. So if you have your cup, you can take the top off. If you're, if you're watching from at home, take a moment to go get communion elements. I'm going to pray for us and let's, let's take communion together. Father, we, uh, we sit with the words of this, uh, this, these 11 verses in Luke 6, um, these two encounters with the Pharisees that Jesus um, demonstrates his faithfulness and, and it culminates with him bringing physical life into the hand of a man with a shriveled hand. And it's a signpost and a reminder that, that this Lord of the Sabbath has come to invite us into life. And he comes with healing and he comes with forgiveness. And so this morning we take this communion, offering you our needs, bringing you our surrendering, and proclaiming that you are our sufficiency. We thank you. We love you in your name. Amen.